That phrase caught my attention. They've turned the world upside down. They have disrupted the status quo, at least. This was something that was, was normative. The normal for Christians in the first century was they were not normal. That's right. They weren't normal. They were turning things counterculture, count revolutionary, radical, different. Were they turning the world right side, or upside down? Or were they how God was turning the world actually right side up again? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And as we go into our text, as we go into our passage in, in Acts chapter 17, I'm going to suggest what is it that we can do in our little corner of it Besides grow longer toenails, what is it that we can do if the whole world seems upside down? Now, if things are upside down, if things aren't really the way that they seem like they are, if things are really upside down, first of all, our passage is going to tell us we've got some explaining to do. We've got some explaining to do. We need to. There's something that we can do in our own little corner of this upside down world and how we can take that little corner of it What's, what specific ways, what does it look like to turn our corner of that world right side up again? That's what I want us to see with a, with, with a couple of different turns of this passage. In Acts chapter 17, we're just going to look at the first nine verses. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. I invite you to follow along as I read. If you're using the church Bible, you'll find us on page 926. Acts chapter 17. Now, when Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke had, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollona, Apollonia, they are, they are on their way now from Philippi. Remember, they, they, they're leaving Philippi. They're going to Thessalonica, following the Ignatian way, the, the Ignatian road. They pass through Amphipolis and Apollonia. I don't know I have trouble with that, but, but they don't stop there. Those are kind of city way stations a uh, place where there's an inn along the way where you can stay as you're traveling down that Roman road, they're headed to this city. They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. That suggests there wasn't one along the way in Amphipolis or Apollonia. There wasn't one at Philippi either for that matter. But at Thessalonica, there's a large Jewish population and there's a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. He's got a place to preach. And he does. On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ, the Messiah. You see, that whole notion about the Christ, the Messiah, the victorious king, being one who would come and suffer and die, was hard for those who were those Jewish people looking for the Messiah, it was hard for them to understand. That was something they were not expecting. And some of them who were, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Some of those Jewish people from the synagogue were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews, the leaders, were jealous. The Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, they set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out into the crowd. 
And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting with this whole mob in a riot. They shout to the city authorities that these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, a different king, different than Caesar, Jesus And the people and the city authorities were so disturbed, troubled by this, when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as a security, they demanded a bond payment, a guarantee from Jason and the others before they would let them go. So here you have a a, a riot in Thessalonica. Just as they said, these guys are disturbing the peace. These guys are causing subversion. These guys are going to turn the whole social order upside down. The very ones who say that are the ones who are causing the riot. But they bring pretty serious charges against Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke. Charges of subversion, disturbing the peace, upending the social order. That was a big deal in Rome. Rome, liked, Rome loved the Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace. They loved order and discipline. Don't rock the boat. And certainly, don't threaten Caesar's rule. Caesar was king, and it's good to be king. And to come up not only with subversion, but that subversion, that upsetting the the status quo of society in the name of a different king, an alternative king. Listen to Jesus instead of to Caesar. Wow. That's pretty serious charges to bring. How did that arise? Where did that come from? Well, first of all, Paul's invited. Paul is the guest speaker that morning. And for several mornings running. For several weeks in a row, Paul is the guest speaker over three Sabbaths in the synagogue with a relatively large population. And not only are there the Jewish people there, but there are a lot of what are called the devout Greeks. These are the God-fearing among the non-Jewish or the Gentile or the Greek population there in Thessalonica. And they, they, they have given up on this Greco-Roman pantheon of, of gods, these so-called gods who act like teenage boys, although they're basically big, exalted men. They are gods made in the image of man's ideals. And they said, no, no, this is nonsense. And they have, they have aligned themselves with the one true God. There is one God. There is a creator. And he's the God who has revealed himself through the Jewish people. But this whole thing about becoming Jewish and getting under the whole, all the traditions and stuff and what, the, what Israel has made, the, what's called by, even by Jesus the Jews' religion, that, that was the obstacle in their way. So they, they, they think that this God has revealed himself through these people. That's who, they're, that's who they understand God to be, and yet there's obstacles in, the, in their getting any closer to them. Those are the devout Greeks. Now, Paul comes to the synagogue then, and this is his audience, and he begins. What does it say? What, is the, what are the words that, that are used there? I think in verse 3. He, well, in verse 2, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He was explaining and proving so that they were persuaded. All of those kinds of words lead me, first of all, to one conclusion. That we, as I said before, Peter advises us, we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. First of all, it assumes there is a hope within us. And that hope that we have in Christ, that which we sang about, that we need to be able to 
explain that to other people. We need to be able to reason with people and to explain and to, and to um, be asked questions and to have potential answers to give and to be able to open and unfold the scriptures to them, to, to um, explain and prove and reason. This is one of the reasons that we talked about. I love the way Evan described those different class opportunities. These are ways for you to connect with other people and become more part of a family. Connect with people over things that matter in ways that you'll, you'll develop and deepen friendships that, that, that can stick and go further. But to spend six weeks in this class called Making Your Case for Christ. Now, there was an uh, apologetics book that was written years ago, The Case for Christ, that had to do with a whole lot of, of, of proofs and historical evidence concerning the reality of Jesus Christ and what the Bible says about him. But this is not, in these six weeks, that's not the main thrust. The main thrust is how can you make your claim? How can you tell your story to the real people around you that you care about? And we'd love for you to invest six weeks. Now, we need to know how many people to set that room for. How many books do we need to have ready for you? Because you use the study guide as you go through. So that's why, please, use that communication card. Let us know. Yeah, for six weeks I'm going to do that. That means you're going to have to turn your world upside down. You're going to have to come to first service. I'm not giving you a pass. I'm not saying don't listen to Bob for six weeks. Go to this video thing instead. No, no, no. We're going to gather together. We're going to worship. And we're going to open the scriptures together still. So that means you're going to have to get up early. Great. And join together in the first service and be in this class in the second service and be all the more ready to make your case for Christ with the people around you that need you to be able to reason, to explain, to demonstrate to them this is God's truth. All right. We've got some explaining to do. We've got to be able to reasonably relate to others. And this is what I believe. Not just, well, it's just what I believe. Why do you believe that? Well, I don't know. It's just what I believe. Why do I believe it? This is what God has said. And he wants us to understand it. You know, a biblical faith, Christian faith is not blind faith. It is not a heritage family faith. I believe this because this is what my family always believed. No, it's because God has shown himself to us from his word. I believe God can be trusted. I trust him for what he said about me. I trust him for what he said about Jesus. So there were many, some of the, Greek, some of the Jews, rather, many devout Greeks, many of the leading women from all social classes that were persuaded and they believed Paul. The Holy Spirit is at work here. I'm convinced we don't argue from apologetics proof point. I don't think you're going to argue anybody into heaven. You can answer objections and push those out of the way, but it's the Holy Spirit that persuades. And so we pray, even as we would explain, and what happens here is the Holy Spirit persuades. And it's across, it's across those social classes. In fact, it's across the marginalized people that those Jewish people, the leaders of that synagogue, these are the last people that they would expect to respond. And it's exactly the ones who did. One of the things that that tells me, that these marginalized groups in the first century in the Jewish mindset, that would have been slaves like that girl in Philippi. That would have been women instead of men. That would have been Gentiles or Greeks instead of us good Israelites. These further out, these marginalized, these not very religious people, they're exactly the ones 
whom God lifts, whom God saves. It suggests to me that a central feature of what Paul is explaining, what Paul is demonstrating from the scriptures, what, God, what Paul is proving in that synagogue that, those mornings is the all aspect of God's grace. That John 3.16 says, whosoever, whoever, anyone who believes on Jesus will be saved, will have eternal life. That it's the all aspect, it's the anyone, it's the whoever believes. That God has opened wide. Don't think that, that in the sense, Jesus says, um, narrow is the way. Yeah, because there's only one way. But that one way, his name is Jesus, is wide open for whoever, anyone who will believe on him. God has thrown heaven's doors wide open in Christ. It's wide open enough for anyone. I'd encourage you on that basis, on that basis that the least likely here are the ones who respond, I would encourage you to, to pray for somebody around you. I don't mean sitting right next to you, although maybe. But... Somebody around you, somebody your life intersects with, you think, no, 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 not them. They're, they're, they're the last person I would expect to come to faith in Christ. Perfect. Start praying for that one. You'd be amazed at what God might do. God just seems to work that way. God seems to turn things completely upside down. God lifts those who are marginalized. Slaves, Greeks, women, others that the world doesn't consider worthy, at least in that first century world. God takes untouchables, and he makes them heirs of God. God takes peasants, he makes them princes. That's what God does. That's his grace. So I don't think this person, that person would ever believe it's exactly where God might start. So he does. They do. They believe. In fact, piles of them. And that causes another problem. The problem is jealousy. We don't like the fact that people are listening to him instead of us. And so, in the name of preserving the peace, these leaders go and start a riot. They, they go down to the rent-a-thug's stand, and they hire some rabble, and they create a riot so that they can accuse Paul and his friends of disturbing the peace. Sometimes the world seems that crazy, doesn't it? Sometimes the things that are going on in our world, like this world, seem completely upside down. Oh, that's what they said. These guys are turning the whole world upside down. Now, is that hyperbole? Or is the gospel already growing and spreading? Well, Paul's in, been in Philippi. He's gotten to Thessalonica. And he hasn't even covered Greece yet. And they say the world's turning upside down. Well, the emperor Claudius has already written to Alexandria, to leaders there, and said, beware of those who are turning the world upside down. This is already out there. Claudius himself has already ex ex expelled all Jewish people from Rome because there was instability. There were some riots. There was some turning of Rome upside down concerning somebody named Christos. Who is that? The word of Christ, the Messiah, has come. Another king, Jesus, has come. That word had gotten out at Pentecost. And from those who had traveled to Jerusalem for Pentecost years earlier who had gone then back to Rome, and it was already spreading there long before Paul ever got there. The word is already going out around the world, you see, by this time. And the gospel is, even in ways that people don't even know it yet, 
It kind of reminds me of, of radio, Transworld Radio, where, where the gospel in 180 different languages is going out in places of the world that you can't send missionaries to, and so you don't know what's happening there. I remember that was our experience when we served in that ministry in Africa, that we would go into, we, we would send programs every night into Mozambique, and for, for the first year, we didn't know what was happening. And we sent in a team after about a year to do some visits and to find out, is anybody listening to these radio programs? And we found 50 different radio churches, 50 different groups of people were gathering together and listening and worshiping because they'd been saved out of that radio program from one pastor broadcasting into a war zone. It's incredible. A year later, it was 300 churches. It's like, wow, look what God is doing with his word in ways that we don't even know. And that gives you and I encouragement. We don't know where it's going. I made the comment in the first service how when you're involved in, when you're involved in Sunday school, you, you know, you're, you're Orwana, you're investing God's word in the lives of kids. You have no idea where that's going to go in years ahead. Somebody came up afterwards. You remember this family? A family, a lot of trouble, a lot of dysfunction going on, and the kids were the ones that were the collateral damage of all that. And these little kids, well, one of them's a little older now and has reached out to and, re- and reestablished a relationship with the lady who was her Awana leader years ago. And that's led to other inter- introductions and back in introducing her back into other youth who are Christians and, and finding stability in that girl's family, in her, in her life now. You never know what's, how those seeds you plant along the way, they're going to grow. And so that's true with the people around you, those least likelies who are around you. Look what God is doing. God will turn things upside down. You see, we look around and we see things like this, the crazy things that are going on, the manipulations, the power struggles, the riots to accuse somebody of disturbing the peace. And we say, wait a minute, the world is upside down already. I would, I would suggest that rather than turning the world upside down, what God is doing through his church, through the giving out of the gospel, through the growth of the gospel, God is turning his world right side up. And I don't think we're going to make it better and better and better, but one life at a time, in this corner, in that corner, you and I are in the midst of experiencing for ourselves and sharing with somebody else an upside down life turned right side up again. Is the world upside down? Does it need to, one life at a time, actually be made, turned right again? Look at the manipulations, the power struggles of our politics today, the gotcha questions, the lawyerly answers. Look at how in our, all across our world today, how, how people treat one another, how women and girls are used as objects of pleasure instead of valued as treasure. You know, when, when God gave Eve to Adam, it wasn't Hey, Adam, take a look at this, this gal I made for you. And Adam says, oh, wow, I want her. Because remember, in the garden, there was a whole naked thing going on, right? No, 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 that, 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 that isn't the picture you should have at all. Adam, you're lacking something. You're lacking something in terms of whole relational intimacy and partnership that all the other animals have. And, and there's nothing here that's quite like you that connects with you, that partners with you and fulfills you. And so he gives Adam as a compliment. Adam is incomplete without her and completed with her. She compliments him together now then they can live out the image of God before the rest of creation. So he's not for her, or or rather she's not for him to fulfill his cravings or vice versa. It's that together 
Well, she makes him whole in ways that he also completes her and makes her whole. And together then, humanity is complete for the mission that God created us for. We don't have other people around us that we would use them for our fulfillment or for our advantage. In an upside-down world, infants are killed in the womb while creepy, crawly critters are protected as endangered. In our world, in a world that's upside down, we are absolutely certain that there are no absolutes. The basic definition of male and female, that's what what four and five-year-olds used to know. I'm still waiting for the children among us to finally rise up and say the emperor has no clothes because things that used to be automatically known to any of us are now ridiculed as, oh, that's not true. You can't know that for sure. But we can know for sure that tolerance is intolerant of any competing view. We are considered more enlightened and yet acting more self-focused and debased than ever before. That's in our own culture. We are more connected and yet more isolated. Never before has so much information and so little wisdom occupied the same space. Our world is upside down. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't take, it doesn't take a, a, several hours of deep reflection and thought to come up with that conclusion. Just open up whatever news magazine, paper, website that you want to find out. What's going on in the world today? Shake your head and cry. It's a mess. And yet in the middle of that upside down world, what, what would God do about it? Would he just be done with the whole thing? What does God do with an upside down world? And this is the shocking part. What God does with an upside-down world is is kind of what Paul did in an upside-down Philippi. He allows himself to be mistreated and abused, right, for the benefit of others. Looked at that last week. What God does in the midst of an upside-down world is God himself turns upside-down in order to bring that world right-side up again. I know I'm playing with words a little bit here, so stick with me. God himself turns upside-down. What do I mean by that? God humbled himself and stepped down into humanity. We easily forget how radical that is. Every other religion says that humanity must pull themselves up. Humanity must somehow achieve that which is what God is or where God is. Humanity must become worthy and humanity must ascend. Biblical Christianity says the king of glory stepped down. He took upon him, he humbled himself. The innocent was pronounced guilty. The beloved son was forsaken. The very source and creator of life, he is the one who dies. God turned himself upside down in order to turn humanity, the world in the sense of humanity, right side up again. Think about this one. God, whose very word creates reality. It's not merely that God tells truth. It's not merely that God cannot lie, but God spoke the word and everything we know to be real came into existence. He created it out of his spoken word. God not only will tell truth, God is true. And yet... 
the God whose own word creates reality, who is truth and cannot lie, he invites rebellious and unreliable and deceitful humanity. He invites them, urges them to believe in him. God could say this is simply non-negotiable. You will. He invites us to believe in the Son whom he has provided, that he who knew no sin became sin. That's upside down. So that we who are intrinsically sinful, we would become the very righteousness of God in him. How can that be? It's beyond us. God has lifted up those who are marginalized, as I said before. God turned himself upside down in order that he would turn the world right side up again. What do I do with that then? How then would I, if that's what God does, if that's how he responds, how would I turn my little corner, this part of life, this, all this craziness is going on out there, what can I do? Well, I've got choices that I can make. I've got things that I can do about me and mine in our corner of this mess. What can I do to turn my corner of the world right side up again? The big picture is, well, what were we made for? What's the upside, what's the right side up view of humanity? What are we all about? What are we for? Well, Jesus said it well when he said, your will be done. You were made to be in relationship with God and to carry out his will among creation, right? That, that when Jesus prays, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That prayer is an expression of, God, I want your good to be accomplished in the middle of this broken world, even if it means brokenness and sacrifice on my part. I want your will to be done instead of my own. That's critical in the turning things right way around in a humanity that is first of all focused on ourselves. I'm convinced the essence of the fall is self-focus. Expressed by Frank Sinatra so beautifully, I did it my way. And Jesus says, Father, I'll do it your way instead of my will. It's expressed in relationship. We who have been reconciled to God, we are peacemakers. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are messengers of God's reconciliation. Am I at peace with others? If there's, if there's a grudge that I've harbored, if there's bitterness from me against somebody, that has got to go. There's no room for that because there's no room with God for bitterness toward me. You ever thought of it that way? God is not bitter toward us for the rebelliousness which we harbored against him. God is not bitter. He loves you as his child. That doesn't leave then any room for me to harbor bitterness toward others. That we forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven us. In our actions as an image bearer, I would, I would portray God's likeness even through this broken humanity. How can I do that? I mean, you know me. I'm a wreck. How can I do that? The fruit of the Spirit is faith, love, joy. Sorry, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Against those things, there is no law. I'm not worried about keeping lists anymore. I'm worried about yielding to the Spirit. God, would you work in me and through me? Would you, would you grow up that family likeness in me? 
that is, is normative now for the believer more and more. I'll give you an example. You're not perfect yet, are you? Still working, still, still, still moving that direction, still the likeness is growing perfectly normal. Have you seen a baby that all looked like Winston Churchill? You've heard that? Yeah. People say, oh, what a cute baby. Thinking, really? Come on. What do pastors say in moments like that, right? You want to speak truth? Huh? Yeah? Be careful. Yeah? Can be a mess. And they grow. You say, oh, he looks just like, really? I've got more hair than that. So, so, and yet as they grow up, they, they grow up more and they look just like them, right? But, oh, you see the family resemblance. You see a little bit of mom or dad and brothers or maybe a grandpa. You, you see that family resemblance stamped there. And that's what God is doing. And more and more as we grow. So they say, I can, I can, I just, 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 you know, my life's a mess. I can't, I can't do that whole fruit of the spirit thing. Little at a time. Little at a time. God, to the extent, as I yield to you just a little bit, God, would you bear your fruit in me growing in that likeness? You want to turn the world upside down in your corner of it? Let's talk about your finances, shall we? No, I don't want to spend too much time on that. They'll do that in FPU, though. They will. And one of the things that, that Financial Peace University, one of the things you can't forget about it is this yelling of freedom. Freedom. You have given us freedom. There's a song in that somewhere, isn't there? But imagine the freedom out of the normal bondage of debt, out of stuff that that things that I bought that I didn't really need to impress people that I don't even like. But I want other people to think more of me, so I'll get more of that, although I can't afford it, and the debt grows, and all of a sudden I'm smothered by it. What would it be to have no monthly payment that you had to make? That you could decide month by month, where does everything God provided, how should it be directed? None of it's already spoken for. That's really the aim, that kind of freedom. And that, that, that is not normal Americanism, I'll tell you right now. I'm, I'm, I'm talking counterculture. I'm turning a financial world upside down. The most money made out there today is credit card companies. And we want to we interrupt that, at least for you. That's FPU. Okay, enough of the commercial. Back to the message. In family, you were made to multiply, fill the earth. See, but I can't even subdue these kids. Yeah, we need to work on that together. One of the things I'm convinced, really, as, as, as a church, we've, we, um, we, we do this, I think, more, more um, organically, occasionally, more ad hoc than we actually are doing right now intentionally. What, one of the things I'm convinced of, and I would love to hear specifically, you said, hey, I'd like, like to tell a pastor a thing or two. Well, I'm asking you to this morning, especially those of you younger families Married, maybe there's kids, maybe not yet, maybe the kids are already, are already out of the house, but, but and you still consider yourself younger married, well, good for you. They, tell me, tell me in that communication card, how would you like to see us better serve the immediate needs and the ongoing connection and growing together in this whole marriage and family and parenting stuff of real life? 
because we need to do that better with, with getting, getting those, that group in particular together with a place where they belong. And these are our people. And we pray for one another. We learn from one another. We're learning together from those who are a little further down the trail ahead of us. I'm looking forward to in the, in the coming months how we do that even, even more intentionally as a church. Because that's part of turning our corner of this world right side up again. If I could borrow that phrase out of Acts chapter 17. They got the heart of Paul's message. The heart of Paul's message was Jesus. This Jesus. And Paul spent time talking about why he needed to die. People around you don't understand Christianity because they don't understand why is it that Jesus needed to die. You and I need to be able to explain that to them. Why he had to rise from the dead and that he did rise. And that, and that out of that, this, this Jesus is the Messiah. This is changing the, the perspective. This is challenging the expectations of the religious crowd. They're turning the world upside down. They're, they're saying that we should follow a different king, Jesus, instead of the normal authorities that we've been listening to. Absolutely. Now, don't take that the wrong way. This was not, this was not sedition. This was not trying to, in fact, Paul is the one who pr said, pray for those who have authority. Pray for your rulers and kings and governors. He says, fear God, honor the king. The world's upside down because they have, they have no fear of God before their eyes. That's the way the book of Judges puts it. But we are to, to fear God and honor. Honor the king, absolutely. This is not seditious, but we should be serving, following, listening to, carrying out the marching orders of another king, Jesus. And that is radical. That will turn your corner of this world upside down. So that's a big, that's a big ask, Bob. Let's, let's, let's dial it back just a little bit. I've been told sometimes I get too intense and I scare some of you. I'm sorry for that. Let's dial it back just a little bit. Is, the, is that right? Is, is, is the simplicity of, of stepping into this, turning this world right side up, is it true that the simplicity of that is following another king, Jesus? Well, Paul put it that way in Romans chapter 12. He said, he said therefore, because of all that comes before chapter 12, how that we were lost in sin and yet Christ died for us. He is the new Adam. And Adam all died. Adam took this ship, as I described to the uh, Awana kids on, 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 on Thursday night, the, that, uh, that Adam took all of humanity who were riding together on, the, on a ship like Titanic called Alduid. No, no, he, he ran that ship into an iceberg, I think. The iceberg was called I'll Do It My Way. And all of humanity went down in that shipwreck. Adam was the captain. But there's a new king. There's a new captain in the analogy. His name is Jesus. And just as Adam took the whole human race down, all who would identify themselves trusting in Jesus instead are the ones that he lifts up. Okay? And because of that, those mercies of God and that newness of life that he gives us by the indwelling spirit, the, the faithfulness of God that's unfolded in the Romans, he, Paul says, therefore, because of all these things, by these mercies of God, I urge you, I implore you, I, I can't say it strong enough, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. This, this is what worship looks like. And, and 
Can you unpack that for us, Paul? Sure. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into its mold. You don't fit here anymore. Don't be squeezed into its expectations, he says in Romans 12 too, but instead be transformed, metamorphosized, worm to, cat- worm to butterfly, caterpillar to butterfly technically, by the renewing of your mind so then you can live out, you can experience, you can demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will be demonstrated on earth. That's what Paul's saying. It comes out of that changing, that transforming, that is opposite of conforming. Proving out the will of God. So as the disciples said when they were pressured, when they were told specifically, we told you this is the way it's supposed to be, and, and Peter and John said, we must obey God rather than men. Sometimes that'll come to, the, to a crisis point and a crunch time decision. But a lot of times, it's the simplicity of, am I going to do it the way of the culture around me, the societal norms of my day, or am I going to do it God's way? Am I going to answer this question about what I should do here? Am I going to do it their way or God's way? Am I going to serve a new King Jesus? Because our Lord Jesus himself put it this way. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I say? Why do you call me King if you don't do what I say? In Romans 6, Paul says, don't you know that you are the slaves of the one you obey? Whether it's sin leading to death or whether it's obedience to God that leads to righteousness, which leads to the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That we're going to obey one or the other. And, and we're, we're demonstrating in who we obey which king, which king I'm serving. Is it Caesar or is it Christ? These, these four, Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, they dared to stand in one of the leading capital cities of the Roman Empire and declare that, there's a, that there was a different king. His name is Jesus. And when you, I said I was going to dial it back a little bit. I felt like it got a little more intense there for a minute. Sorry about that. When you, in one aspect of faith, in this one little thing, in this one thing, you, you, were, you opened your Bible for devotions that morning, and it said something that just nudged you a little bit in conviction. This tells me that I should. In that moment, you are going to decide, in that little corner, is my world going to be upside down or right side up? On this one thing, and it could seem like a real little thing, but it's not little at all. Those little things, in fact, the little decisions make the big ones. In that little thing, That's your opportunity to decide right here in this, I'm going to serve a different king, Jesus. Okay, I said there's no little, those little decisions make the big ones. Let me illustrate that. One man had been happily married for 30-some years, and he said, said, yeah, my wife and I reached an understanding early on. We never argue. We never fight. How is it you never argue? You never fight. Yeah, no, early in our marriage, we came to uh, an agreement together that that she said that she, would, she, that she would let me make any big decisions 
And if I would leave to her all the little decisions. Okay? And he said, well, how that's, how's, that, how's that working for you? Well, it's been great. There hasn't been one big decision yet. <laughs> but the point is, actually, the little decisions do make the big ones. Okay? And so we think about this, this a new King Jesus and how I turn my life right side up again in some huge way by some momentous life-changing decision. I know I'll go off to Africa. Actually, it's what you're going to do tomorrow morning that makes the difference. It's what you're going to do this afternoon. It's what you're going to do when you open up God's word, and it nudges you this way. And on this little thing, will I dare to serve a different king, Jesus? In the eyes of an uncomprehending world, Christians will likely appear subversive. We're going to upset the apple cart. We're going to do things that are contrary to our current culture, against the social norms of the day. Christians are going to, in some ways, we're going to be, we ought to be, in opposition to that current ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works, Ephesians says, in the sons of disobedience. We ought to be contrary in a wonderfully warm, winsome, benevolent way, we ought to be contrary to an upside-down world because we are following a different king, Jesus. Don't be afraid to be different. He is. Let's pray. Father, would you give us that courage? Father, in a, in a, in a world that presses more and more, in a society that, that insists on our conformity, Father, I pray for us as a church family that you would give us courage to be different. And Lord, give us the ways, the connection together that we would encourage one another, that we'd reinforce one another, that we would be growing and walking together in your will. Father, that right here at Brush Prairie, things would be not upside down but right side up, more and more for your glory. Father, you have set us free from chains that bind us, from expectations of others, because the whole, the whole sense of our being, our identity, has been given back to us by you. Our God, our creator, our savior, our redeemer, you have made us again your own children. Father, then strengthen us in that freedom. Lord, the things that we share in these communication cards that are going to come forward, even the gifts that we bring, this, this offering that we would yield to you, to be used by you for the gospel that sets free, that turns upside down, right side up. Father, we, we, we entrust these things to you for your glory, for our best. In Jesus' name, and all who agree said, Amen. Amen.